If you would, find a Bible. And uh, let's go to the first page of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. By the way, I, before I begin, I just got to say, that music set was awesome. Amen. Okay? Let's see. Corey, uh, Caleb, they're all C's, right? Corey, Caleb, and Christian, right? Jacob. Why say Caleb? My bad. Didn't they do a great job? Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, you guys know that as a church, we are like supremely spoiled. You know that musically. Do you guys know that? I mean like supremely spoiled. I'm really spoiled as a lead pastor in working with Jason Kelly. I mean to tell you, that man's gifted. What a gift to the body of Christ. Stay humble, my brother. Amen. Jessica will ensure that. Amen. Okay. First page of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Monica and I were on a trip that you sent us to uh, Israel a few weeks ago, and we were able to go to the town where Jesus grew up. Guess what that town is called? Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem, raised in, Naz uh, raised in Nazareth. Okay, so born in Bethlehem. We just sung it. Born in Bethlehem. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. And that town still exists, right? We went there. We saw it with our eyes. It's hilly. Remember they, they said about uh, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Kind of like the colony. Anything good come out of the colony? You know, for some people. That's what those that live in Frisco say about us, but I digress. Okay. Wait a minute. We have members from the, the Frisco, so let's not say that. Okay. Right? By the way, all the towns that Jesus said that one little word, woe to, they're not in existence anymore. Yeah, Nazareth still exists. But you kind of get that vibe when you're uh, traveling through uh, th that town. It's, a, it's still a small town. You kind of get that vibe, not to denigrate or anything, but it's like not much, not much to the town here, except a church, what's called the Church of the Annunciation. You guys know about this? It's a Latin Catholic church, and it's built over what tradition says is the home, get this, of Mary and Joseph. So they build a church over it, and supposedly this is where Mary, uh, you know, parented the Son of God and with Joseph, and where the angel Gabriel came to announce to her God's plan for her life. By the way, would you like to see uh, some pictures of that church? Would that be cool? All right, so let's take out the lights. Let's go through these pics real quick. Okay, so when you, when you, after you walk into the church... Uh, this is basically what you see, okay? Next pic. Uh, this is to the left of the picture that I just showed you. This is, so they, they've basically built over, th this is remains from the first century home of Jesus, as tradition says, within the church, okay? It's like, don't touch the, you know, the, the stone. Next picture. Um, do you see how everyone is coming down the, the stairwell there and looking into that place there? You see the person with, holding up the picture, okay? This is what you'll see if you went down there with us and looked into there. Next picture, that's what you would see. You see how ancient the, the, the stone is back in there? Again, it dates back to the time of Jesus. All right, next picture. So when you go upstairs, this is where the, the church is. This is upstairs, isn't that amazing? Now, 
to your right and to your left are these massive, real tall mosaics. And I'm going to show you those in a minute. But this is like the center aisle of the church. All right, next picture. I think I'm going, yep, there's another picture of it. As you walk closer to that, this is what you'll see. That's kind of up close, right? What's the centerpiece of Roman Catholic worship? What is it? Well, it's several things. That may be a trick question. It's the mass. It's the table, right? So you see how central that is? In, in, in Southern Baptist and in Protestant um, churches, what's the center of um, worship? The pulpit. The pulpit. The word of God, right? Big difference. Okay, so uh, standing here, if you look up, this is what you'll see. Isn't that amazing? We might have a glitch on us. Nope. Back up. Next slide. Okay. If you look up, this is what you'll see. Wait for it. No. Oh, there it is, there it is, there it is. Okay, you look up, that's what you'll see. I may have had that out of order, my fault, Mark. I'll take full credit for that, okay. All right, so now let's back up, next slide. And let's look at these murals that are on the right-hand side of the Church of the Annunciation and the left-hand side, just massive, tall, like up to the top of the sound panels up there, just massive, wide, okay? Next. All of these are depictions of whom do you think? Mary. Mary. All right, next. Asian depiction of Mary. Next. From, all, from countries all over the world. This is from France. Mary. Next. Now, this one looks weird. This is kind of cosmic looking. Guess what country uh, did this one, or is representative of what country? USA. That's like kind of not good looking to me cosmic okay next 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 just massively huge murals of Mary next okay this is just a pic picture of a, a up and close I wanted you to see uh, what these murals are, are, are made out of what, go ahead uh, further advance it look how small I mean just the, the size of your fingernail these massive murals the time it must have took to put these together the, art, the artistry is just simply amazing alright I don't know what's next but press the button okay next yep some more of Mary Mary next okay we're done with Mary so, so that's, that's, the, that's inside what's called the Church of the Annunciation so did, did, did an angel really come and talk with Mary? Yes. Is Jesus truly God? Yes. I'm kind of preaching to the choir right now, right? But is he really man? Yes. <laughs> did God enter our world on a specific day in September of 3 BC through a virgin? <laughs> if you want to know why I think Jesus was born on a specific day in September 3 BC, email me and I'll give you the incredible evidence for that it is pretty interesting and if the account about Mary and what the angel Gabriel told her is true 
Why did Jesus enter our world? Listen, this way. <laughs> Why this way? What is God communicating to us through the virgin birth? And what does God want with us? So today I have God with us, four insights into the incarnation based on the first page of the New Testament, Matthew 1. And before I dive into the word, I want to give you a quick word on the Bible and what every faithful preacher should seek to do, okay? And it's going to kind of prep you for what I'm going to do in this message. So hit the button. When you come to a Bible passage, right, um, we got to be careful as to how we read that because there's a, there's a literary context to a, a Bible passage. You see that there. Next, right, there's also a historical context to a Bible passage. Hit the bu uh, button. And there's also a greater scriptural context to the Bible passage. So if you're gleaning things from the literary context or the historical context and it's not matching up with what the rest of Scripture says, your interpretation is inaccurate or wrong. Okay? So that's how you properly interpret the Bible. Very simple, but very important. And a lot of preachers and seminary professors ain't doing it no more. Next slide. Usually what they're doing is this, and, we, and we're all prone to this because we live on this side of the, uh, the uh, uh, enlightenment, okay? Usually we come to the scripture, you know, in our own individual context, our own social context, or what the greater society says, and we read that passage with those lenses instead of the literary context, historical context, and the greater scriptural context. Are you following with me? You following? For example, we rip out a Bible passage where Judas comes to Jesus and says, Hail, Rabbi, and kisses him. If you come with the Bible like that on the screen, right, you're going to come out thinking, well, I guess, I guess Judas is a good guy. Uh-oh, no. Would that be a right interpretation of the Bible? Jesus is a good guy? No. Uh, did I say Jesus? Ah, Lord, help the man. Judas is a good guy in that context? No. Or in today's greater society, we, will, we lift that verse up out of context and say, hey, Jesus isn't a homophobe. He let Judas kiss him. Therefore, Jesus is good with homosexuality. Is that an okay interpretation of the Bible? Are you, are you following? So those three circles before that one, extremely important. Okay, next slide. What a man of God should do is do the study, literary historical context, then glean out relevant theological ideas from the Bible passage, and then lo and behold, are you ready for this? Apply that to contemporary issues. That's what a faithful man of God should do, okay? For example, press the button, right? Here's the different areas of applying the Bible from a Bible passage. Individual life, work, marriage and family, education, government. Now that I did say on purpose, education, government and politics, science, medicine and technology, the arts and the church, right? That's, that's what God's man should be doing in the pulpit. That's what God's people should be doing as we live our lives, applying the Bible in all the areas of contemporary life. And the people of God said, amen, amen. amen. So this is what you're about to hear, okay? So brace yourself. Do not sit back and do not relax, Okay? The captain has put the seatbelt on because there's going to be some turbulence. Amen. All right? So let's go to the Word of God together. Verse 1 says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of... Okay, I'm just going to skip that. Let's go to verse 18. <laughs> Boring. Blah, blah, blah. I can't even pronounce the guy's name. Who's the father of father of... Why is that in the first page of the New Testament? The genealogy of Jesus. What's the purpose of it? Matthew is showing Jesus Christ is the son of David. He's the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah Massively important. I know it's not on our little scripture memory cards, okay? Massively important. So let's jump down to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary has, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. <laughs> the New Testament begins in drama, <laughs> controversy, <laughs> If you don't like controversy, don't be a Christian. <laughs> and certainly don't claim to follow Jesus. Because <laughs> when you follow him, controversy's coming. Can't get past the first page of the New Testament. Controversy's coming. Scandal. Scandalous. First page of the New Testament. Scandal. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name, say it, church, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is an angel sent from God whose name means God is my strength. This is Gabriel speaking. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Fathers, we stand in your presence. Help me to preach and help us to listen. To the end that you're glorified, the church is built up, and perhaps those that are among us that don't know you in a saving way, they hear the good news of Jesus Christ and come from death to life, from unbelief to belief, from no faith to faith. Bring us, bring us to repentance, I pray, and strengthen your bride. Be the lifter up of our head in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've got four, four insights, and then we'll be done. Number one. God came into our dark world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. We see, this is, uh, we see this in verse 18, verse 20, and verse 23. Now, whether we know it or not, we live in a world that has been greatly shaped by what historians call the Enlightenment. It was an intellectual movement that dominated the world of ideas in Europe during the late 18th century. And the reason why it's important that you know this is before this time, nobody is doubting about the existence of God or other spiritual beings. In other words, in most everybody's mind, it was a big duh that God existed. Okay? It was assumed and it was presumed. 
But with the Enlightenment, man's reason became sovereign as the primary source for knowledge. The five senses, what we can see, touch, taste, smell, uh, became primary sources of knowledge. And so because you cannot see, taste, touch, hear, or smell God, nor spiritual beings, then he must not exist, says the supposedly enlightened one. Okay? Now, if I'm beginning to lose anyone at this time, let me sum it up with one quick short sentence, okay? Man's reason claimed to triumph over God's revelation. Man's reason began to triumph over God's revelation. What's the revelation? It's the word of God, okay? So up before the enlightenment, humanity saw itself as under the revelation of God, under the revelation of God. But now with the enlightenment, now we stand over the Bible with our logic, with our scientific understanding of how the world works, right? With our reason and rationality, okay? With our individualism. All of these values were extremely important to the enlightenment and the culture in which we live. You might want to write those four values down. I'll repeat them. Reason, individualism, skepticism, and science. Okay, reason, individualism, skepticism, science. Or don't take notes, sit back and listen, and I'll email you my message notes, okay? Here we go. So when we come to a passage like ours today, it blows our feeble post-enlightenment minds. How can it be? How can it be that Jesus is God's son? Well, look at verse 18. Let's look at the revelation of God. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they became, uh, came together, she was found to be with child, did you catch this phrase? By the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? If you write in your Bible, write it down. By the Holy Spirit. Mary was not with child by Joseph. In the case of Jesus, she was not. Mary was not with child by a mere man. Mary, a virgin, was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, what? How can a virgin become pregnant by a divine or spiritual being? How can we be sure Jesus is God's son? Well, we've seen verse 18. Now let's look at verse 20. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been born conceived in her is what? Of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, by the Holy Spirit. Now verse 20, of the Holy Spirit. Did you, you see that phrase? You catch it? Not once, but so far, twice in our passage, it speaks of the divine origin of Mary's baby. But God is not content to communicate this to us twice in our passage. He goes for the trifecta. He goes for the three-peat. He knows people are going to struggle about the divine nature of his son. Is it really so? How can God be in Abad? Are you kidding me? So in the birth narrative or the birth announcement of his son, he gives not one, not two, but three mentions about who his son is. Look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated. So if you don't have the by the Holy Spirit, and if you don't get the of the Holy Spirit, now his name is Emmanuel, which means, hello world, God with us. Three times. Not a religious founder with us. Not a moral philosopher with us. Not a life coach Jesus with us. Not a prophet like us. Not an angel like Michael with us. 
God with us. Some people say Jesus was not regarded as divine by the church until the church councils kicked in when they started meeting in the fourth century. They say the church did not believe Jesus was equal with God until the church councils started voting, right? And the majority view won. If you don't know this, that's happening. A lot of people think that. But the scriptures tell us a different story. The scriptures state clearly that Jesus existed before he took on flesh. For example, the following scripture was written in the first century, not the fourth century. You may have, this, this might be a, 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 a verse that you've heard before, especially if you were listening to Chuck's preaching, amen. Philippians 2.5, have this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's why God has so highly exalted Jesus Christ and has given him the name above every name. Amen. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Amen. Merry Christmas. Why don't people use the name Buddha when they cuss? You don't hear people saying, oh, Buddha. Why the name Jesus? The fleshiness of Jesus not only profoundly boggles the mind, it is essential to our salvation. The fleshiness, the flesh of Jesus. How so? Paul says Jesus was, quote, manifested in the flesh and that he did his, re, re, uh, and that he did his reconciling work in his body of flesh. Colossians 1.22, 1 Timothy 3.16, and Ephesians 2.15. John says that Antichrist will deny that Jesus Christ, quote, has come in the flesh. 1 John 4, 2 and 2 John 7. Peter speaks of Christ dying for us, quote, in the flesh. 1 uh, Peter 3, 18 and chapter 4, verse 1. All these passages reinforce the same truth from different angles that by coming and dying in the flesh, Jesus Christ secured our salvation. So yes, amen, Jesus Christ is God's son. He's both divine and human. He has not one nature, not two mingled natures. He has two natures, one divine, one human. These two natures are not confused. These two natures are not changed. These two natures are not divided and they are not separated. Jesus Christ is God with a bod. You, you've, you've heard me say that before. Now, there are a few takeaways I want to impress upon you before we go to insight number two. Since Jesus Christ is God, he alone is worthy of our full adoration and allegiance. And so because of that, we must fight to not allow our spouse, our kids, our friends, our education, our job, our vacay, our money, our sports, our retirement come before Jesus. Amen? You remember the pictures about Mary that I showed you at the Church of the Annunciation? Anybody checking out on me? Is anybody checking out on me? Listen to me. You remember the pictures that I showed you? Right? Baptists do 
What Roman Catholics do with Mary, they just do it with other good things or people. So what do Roman Catholics do, okay? They take Mary and they idolize her, right? All of the murals should have been about Jesus, not Mary. See? The official doctrine, if you don't know this, of Roman Catholicism puts Mary as co-redemptrix. It's the technical term for co-redeemer. Pardon me, there's a problem there. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man. His name is not Mary. Jesus. Mary needs a savior. His name's Jesus. Blessed as she is, precious as she is, what a wonderful model of faith as she is, she's still in need of a savior, right? By the way, Mary's response to the word of God, flip side inversion to Mary's response to the word of God. So yes, we will, we will bless her. We will uh, see her model as a faith. We will uphold her. Protestants are scary about Mary. Don't know what to do with Mary because of the extreme of Roman Catholicism, right? Amen. Praise God for what God did in Mary. Amen. How precious. Those of you that have babies, how precious. You know more than anybody. Wow. Imagine carrying the Son of God in your womb. Amazing. What a miracle. If Jesus is not God, by the way, then you and I are committing idolatry when we worship Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Right? We need to stop with the songs, stop with the service, stop with the sacrifices that we make, stop with the preaching. Everything we must do must stop if Jesus Christ is not God because it'd be idolatry. So God came into our dark world in the person of Jesus Christ. But why? Why? And why this way? Why this way? It gets better. Let's go to number two. Insight number two. God, gave, God came into our dark world in order to save his people from their sins. Verse 21, if, you're still, if you still have your Bibles open, she will bear a son. And you, sh by the way, is, is Gabriel asking Mary about this? Is Gabriel asking for permission from Mary for God to work in her life? <laughs> you hear this in a lot of preaching. You know, as if man has to give God permission to work in our lives. Man, I'm so glad that's not true because none of us would ever give God permission, right? When we pop up out of that womb, we are sinners by nature, by choice, and by a divine decree. We never have to teach our children, precious little one, this is how you sin, okay? It comes naturally. This is how you're supposed to be selfish, this is how you manipulate your mama <laughs> and your daddy, especially if you're a little girl. Yeah. Oh, they know. Oh, yes, they know. They work them charms. Yes. Evil ones they are. In need of a savior they are. Smack that little bottle. Discipline that little one if you love her or him. And if you don't, you will ruin that little one. There'll be much heartache. Wow, that wasn't in the notes. Where are we? Okay. <laughs> she will bear a son. You, I mean, think about the audacity of Gabriel. If after nine months of carrying God in her bod, surely Mary has the right to name her own child. No, no, no. You're going to have a son. You're going to name it. You see this? This is top down. Okay, we see, we, survive, we see precious passivity in Mary. Hearing and basically saying, okay, 
I'll quote her, let it be to me according to your word. Wow. Would to God that I would have faith like that. Mm. What will Jesus do for his people according to verse 21? He what? Will save whom? His people. I wish a lot of seminary professors and preachers actually preached that and believed verse 21. Not maybe, not hopefully, not possibly. He will save his, this is so precious. This, this is amazing. Do you not see the guarantee? Do you not see the assurance? Do you not see the promise, the pledge of God? Churches all over America and Texas, are ha they have many people in them that do not actually believe verse 21. Do you? They also have not through the implications of this wonderful verse. And I'm here to declare to you that God did not send his son into the world to purchase a possibility of salvation. Jesus came to actually purchase a people for his own glory. The designs of God cannot be frustrated by the actions of men. The, desi the, the designs of God cannot be frustrated by the actions of men. And this applies also to the purpose of saving his people through the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You need to see some more scripture to support this? You need something more than verse 21? Roll it. Next one. What is it? Is it the John passage? Look at that. Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the, notice the definite article. That's what the little word the is, the sheep. Next phrase, this is Jesus to the Pharisees, John 10, 26. This is our review for you. We've already been through the Gospel of John. We know everything about it, right? <laughs> nope. By the way, uh, never mind. Uh, where are we? John 10, next. Uh, oh, back up. Yeah, back up. Did I say that one? Back up one. Did I say that John 10, 26? Yeah, I, I think I drove by it. Look, what, look at this. Have you ever read this? This is Jesus. But you do not believe me because you are what? That's why people don't believe. They're not of his sheep. A shepherd knows who his sheep are. A flock consists of what? A limited number of what? Sheep. <laughs> Next slide. Next scripture. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. Why did they do that? Because he commanded them to. And I give them eternal life and they will what? never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's called the ultimate secret service agent. Ain't nobody getting in. Right? His name's God. Ever doubt your salvation? Yeah, read that verse. And have some peace of mind. Your salvation is not dependent upon your obedience or lack of. It's all dependent upon his obedience on your behalf. Next, this is in the context of uh, the Apostle Paul speaking to elders, by the way, when he's about to leave. When he's done with his speech, they like, kiss on him and he goes bye-bye. This is to elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his 
own blood. What did he do? He bought it. He purchased it. Was that transaction complete on the cross or not? I'm voting yeah, because at the cross he's saying, it is finished. Another translation, paid in full. What did he buy? Our salvation. He did not purchase a possibility of our salvation. He actually did something on the cross. You need one more? Of course we do, because we want to get out by noon. Next slide. This is the lovey-dovey marriage. You want a you vibrant, vital, romantic, wonderful, thrilling marriage? Read Ephesians 5. Watch how it works. And when you don't, it won't. Tucked in this masterful piece of knowing how God made marriage is this. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, it's painful to read out loud. Just as Christ also loved the church. We got to bleed, brothers. It's going to kill you to love your wife. You're going to bleed. It's going to be painful. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for everybody. Her, the church. It's everybody in the sense of every ethnicity. Man, female, male, female, boy, girl, slave, free. It's everybody in the sense of all ethnicities. But it is gave himself up for the church. This wonderful truth of the gospel should cause us to fall on our feet and worship God from the heart. It should rip every vestige of pride left in our hearts. And I confess to you, I got some serious repentance to do. You can say, man, it's okay. You're in the same place as I am. It should also cause us to rest and have peace regarding our salvation. It is guaranteed. It is secure. It is protected by God himself because God did it. He did all of it. And he gifted it to us even before the foundation of the world. It's amazing. It's amazing. Number three. God came into our dark world in order to destroy the devil's works. Now you might be thinking, well, where is this truth in this passage, Pastor Moore? That's easy. It's in verse 21. Don't you see it? When you read Genesis 3, even, uh, even Adam would not have sinned were it not for the temptation and manipulation of the serpent, right? So how did original sins, by the way, if I need to review, he will save his people from their what? Sins. How did sins come into the world? I went to Genesis 3. Are you following with me? Okay. How did original sins, plural, enter into the world? Because of a rebellious supernatural being. How did sins proliferate to such a degree that by the time you get to Genesis 6, God has to flood the whole world and essentially start all over again with Noah and his family? And how did that work out with Noah? Not too good. How did it work out with Abraham? Not too good. Isaac and Jacob. I mean, just read the rest of the Bible. You can't get past Genesis 4 with some serious dysfunction in the family. Brothers killing brother. That's what sin does. It's horrible, horrible. Through the corruption of dark, evil powers that taught humanity how to be good at sinning. Did you know that the early church fathers, Irenaeus 
and Tertullian saw this in Scripture and spoke of this in their preaching and writing. And it wasn't until the 4th century and with the coming of Augustine did the emphasis on the supernatural powers upon humanity diminish. Augustine did not know Hebrew, and he did not like Greek. He was a Latinist, so he's not picking up these truths in the Old Testament. For example, the Hebrew word translated... I'm going to... I'm going to... Well, never mind. The Hebrew word translated serpent is nakash. Everybody say nakash. It can actually be translated in three ways. Did you know this? This is so helpful. I wish somebody would have told me when I was a teenager. Nakash can be translated as serpent, but guess how throne guardians were portrayed in the ancient Near East? When you study the ancient, uh, ancient Near Eastern, uh, you know how I talked about historical context to a passage? Guess how throne guardians were portrayed in the ancient Near East? As serpents. As serpents. This is basic common knowledge. I'd like to apologize to the church. I'm age 50 and I'm just catching up with a lot, a lot of things. Nakash can also be translated as shining one. Uh, what do divine beings do? What do divine beings do? They shine. Students, if you're into the Avengers movie, do you remember when Thor shined? Y'all remember that scene? Are you with me? Okay, yeah. What's being communicated by Thor shining in the movie? Thor is more than a mere man. He's a demigod in the movie, right? So, Nakash can be translated as serpent, as is in our English Bibles. It, it can also be translated as shining one, which that's what divine beings do. That's what supernatural beings do. Nakash can also be translated as a diviner or one who discloses hidden knowledge. All those three things are in play in the Genesis, in the, uh, Genesis account. What does the serpent, this divine being, say to Eve? Genesis 3, 5, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. By the way, that can also be translated, you will be like the gods, knowing good and evil. Hebrew language will allow that. You'll be like the divine beings, or like God himself. Genesis should be read as the original audience would have understood it, not with our Western scientific post-enlightenment eyes. It's not a scientific book. It's not trying to be a scientific book. We don't have a literal six-foot python talking English to a woman, okay? I mean, seriously, what woman talks casually with the snake anyway? Hello? That stuff is for fairy tales. That stuff is for comic books. The greater point I'm making is this. Human responsibility for sin is connected to spiritual, supernatural evil that promotes it and proliferates it. And pro if you don't know, pro proliferate means to multiply. And multiply it among humans is exactly what they do. So God has a serious rebellion going on, both in the world and in the cosmos. He has a spiritual family in rebellion. He has a human family in rebellion. And what do we do? We make a mess of God's good world. The spiritual family and the human family are co-conspirators against God. This is a big part of the big Bible story. And what is the result, my, my friends? Beloved, what is the result? Stay with me. Sustain and maintain. Stay with me. What is the result? I'm going dark on you. You got to see the dark before the light of Jesus, okay? Stay with me. What is the result? Sin. 
sickness, sicknesses, diseases. Sharon's not going to have Pastor Ron with her this Christmas. Violence, war, lust, sexual immorality, sexual violence, physical handicaps, malformations, mental health issues, cognitive disorders, panic attacks, depression, divorce, murder, fears, suicide, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes. This is our world. This is our mess. And this is the world God came into. God with us. In order to what? Save it. 1,550, 155,000 252 people will die today without Jesus Christ. Every day that happens. Over 155,000 people dying every day. That's our world. Here's another example in Scripture of the coupling of the sin of humanity and the sin of spiritual powers. When you start to know this, you'll start to read the Bible passage and it'll like pop up. It's like, whoa, I didn't, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. It's from Genesis to Revelation. For example, Colossians 2, 3, 2.13 when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all of our transgressions having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross isn't that beautiful every time we sin in word, thought, deed or motive it's an IOU to God an eternal IOU you sin Write an IOU. You need to pay for it. You sin, you need, to, you need to pay that back. It's going to take forever for you to do it. So you see what Paul's saying? All of those IOUs as if it were, were tacked into the body of Jesus Christ while he's on the cross and he took the condemnation and the shame and the guilt of all those sins and he took it out of the way. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Or depending on the Greek uh, manuscript, through it, meaning the cross. See the coupling? Human- humanity's sin, sin of the evil, uh, evil powers. We could go to 1 John 3, 8. I love this. This is one of my favorite Christmas verses, if you would. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. That is so explicit, so short, so true. That's why he came. By the way, there's another incident in scripture where a supernatural being enters into a woman or women and produce offspring. Is there another like, is that happening in the Bible anywhere? If you're reading the Old Testament, it is. Hit the button. Next slide. If you've never read this, oh, do I have that? Yeah, there we go. Look at it if you've never read this in the Bible. Now, it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the what? Say it out loud. It's highlighted there. What? Sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Next slide. We're going to jump to verse 4. 
the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the what? Sons of God came into the daughters of men and they what? That's weird. Bore children to them. Those who were the mighty men of old, men of renown. 1 John 3, 8. The what? Ooh, capital S. The son. We're talking about the sons of God and what they did. When you study the term sons of God in the Old Testament, guess what you'll find? Those are spiritual beings. You might be thinking, dude, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yep, but it pales in comparison to what God is doing through the Virgin Mary, and maybe there's a connection. It's not by accident. The reason why the Son of God appeared through a woman is because he is reversing every action of the evil powers and he's doing it in a a way that humiliates them and shames them and makes a mockery of them. Hallelujah. Crank up the band. So we've seen that God came into our dark world in the person of his son Jesus. God came into our dark world in order to save his people from their sins. God came into our dark world in order to destroy the devil's work. We have one left, one insight left into the incarnation of Jesus, and then I'll be done. But happily, God won't be done. Amen. Number four, God came into our dark world in order to restore it back to Eden. Why are y'all laughing? People who listen to this on the video are gonna be that church is laughing at that scripture I just read. They won't know the context here. Don't get ahead of me, my brother. As I said earlier, the post-enlightenment's influence on theology in the Western world has influenced all of us to see the Bible through the lenses of what post-enlightenment values. I'll repeat the four values. They are so important. Reason, individualism, skepticism science just like several of you are struggling with the verse that I just showed you in the Bible your reason cannot get it (laughs) your individualistic understanding of that struggling with it your skepticism is apparent and it doesn't match with what we know (laughs) welcome to the world of the Bible it's a supernatural world welcome to reality welcome to the revelation of God right by the way if you're struggling with that I've got some other things that you might struggle with how can the Bible who who wrote the Bible no no God didn't write it human writers wrote it but they were inspired by God so yeah God did write it can you explain that to me like clearly so I understand that okay how can this be written by man but it's God inspired can you break that down for me let's see what's another one I mean on and on we could go how, okay how about this how can the death of a man 2,000 years ago like wipe away my sin now how does that work can you, can you break that down for me how does that work It works because it's revealed to us in God's word, right? So the result of the post-enlightenment values of reason, individualism, skepticism, and science, by the way, when I say science, I'm not anti-science, hello. I appreciate not being able to get up off the couch in order to change the television channel. (laughs) Amen. We have a generation saying, what is he talking about? I don't know. Okay, 
So I, I appreciate, right? By the way, all the fa- when you sketch the, the fathers of modern day science, guess what? They're all creationists. Hello, somebody give me a teacher in high school that tells the kids that. Somebody give me some professor in the university that would teach kids this, right? The fathers of modern day science were creationists. They thought, hey, this infinite great God created. Let's go investigate it. Look how that works. Look how this works. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Until you start denying him and you're getting all haughty in your reason and all that. See? It just messes things up. So the result is the gospel has been shrunk or flattened. Did you ever hear or see the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Anybody? Maybe you've heard about it. I never saw it. Don't know if it's good or bad. Don't want to get in trouble with anybody. If it's PG-13, I have no idea what's in it. Okay? Whatever. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Well, this time, it's not honey, I shrunk the kids. It's honey, I shrunk the gospel. It's creeped into preachers and professors. For example, lifeguard Jesus. Hit the button. Okay. So there's various versions of lifeguard Jesus, but it goes something like this. I've got the, uh, the soundtrack in my mind. I think. <laughs> Sorry, David. Yeah. Okay. So it goes, lifeguard Jesus goes something like this. You're drowning in sin. And you call for help, and Jesus, the lifeguard, swims out to you, but you have to give him permission to save you before he saves you. Something like that, okay? What's actual? The Bible says we're dead in our sins. You are not drowning in sin. You were dead, and at the bottom of the ocean or the lake or the pool, King Jesus drains the body of water, walks on dry land out to you, and says, live! And you're raised from the dead. I'll quote Ephesians 2. He made you alive together with Christ. Next slide. All right. Or the, uh, the, the church lady. This is the gospel of moralism. All right. Some of these figures don't actually fit, but I'm having to give you like a graphic to, to get it. I may have, might be losing some younger people with uh, what's on the picture, but this is an example of the gospel of moralism. Moralism reduces the gospel to improvements in behavior. Like the church lady. What's her name? I love her name. Enid Strict. Enid Strict. Right? So, rules are set by the church lady, Mrs. Strict. Behave. Right? The moralist sets the rules involving alcohol, gambling, dancing. Rated R movies, tattoos, women wearing pants, etc., etc., ad nauseum. Moralism promises salvations to sinners if you will only behave. Behave. Commit yourself to moral improvement. But the gospel of morality saves no one, it only produces self righteous people in the church that's what this gospel that's what this church lady that's what this kind of thinking this kind of preaching produces in the church legalism it saves no one God came into our dark world in order to restore it back to Eden he will save his people from their sins means he's going to make the effects of sin upon this entire world gone hallelujah 
man, I'm a Baptist, but I feel like a charismatic right now. <laughs> Hallelujah! Little C charismatic, not capital C. Little C. If you're a Christian, you're a little C charismatic. It only means you're gifted. Amen. We're all gifted. At the end of God's salvation story, we read, not that you die and you go to heaven, at the end of God's salvation story, we read that heaven comes down to earth. Have you not read the end of the Bible? I'll put it on the screen for you. Revelation 21. Look at these precious promises. Look at this, or hear it, if it doesn't work up on the screen. It may not be in there. Here at Revelation 21. Forgive me if it's not on there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah, okay, just leave that up there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. Remember, sea represents to the ancient uh, uh, Israelite or the first century Jew, the sea represents the chaotic forces of evil. That's why he says there's no more sea, Amen. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Amen. Amen. That's the end of the book. Heaven's coming down to earth. He's restoring back to Eden. He's not done with Genesis 3. He will have his way on the earth as it is in heaven. He will win. He does win. He rules and he reigns. Most of you know Monica were, and I were in the holy city, Jerusalem. We went to the western wall, and it's, only part, it's the only part left of the Jewish temple from when the Romans destroyed it in A.D. 70, which is a prophetic fulfillment of Jesus Christ. It's the only part. You see it there? Now, you see on the right-hand side, that's like uh, with the white top and like the, the wooden, that's like a boardwalk, Okay? And before you can get to the right side of that, you got to go through security, okay, in order to access that entry or access uh, the western wall there, okay? So on our trip, we go through security, and there's like three ways to get in. And I see this long line on the right-hand side. And I was thinking that there's a bunch of tourists, and they don't know what they're doing, and I'm just going to walk through this way. And Monica was kind of like to my right, and I said, well, just go through there. I'll, I'll, show you, I'll see you on the other side. And I walked through the shorter. Oh, that was wrong. That was really bad wrong because she's up now in that, that, that walkway, that tunnelway, and guess where that goes? To the western wall where I am? Oh, no. That goes up over the western wall and empties out into the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim section. So I'm standing there at the western wall standing with my bride, and I'm thinking, oh, she's up. Oh, no. I've lost my wife in the Holy Land. So I run back and get back to the back of the line, go through security, go up and through it, up and over, empty out into the Dome of the Rock courtyard, the Muslim district, okay? And she should be right there, right? And she's not there. Where's my wife? Where's my wife? Monica? Uh-oh. Where is she? I mean, she should be right here. This is, I mean, it empties out right here. Surely she would have thought, oh, we got separated. I'll just, I'll just stay here and he'll come for me, right? That's what I'm thinking. He'll come get me. And I'm there to get her, and she's not there. Well, here I am walking around the Dome of the Rock courtyard in the Muslim corner. Well, I'm here. I might as well take a picture. Oh, yeah, where's my wife? Okay, where is she? 
can't find her. Tick tock, tick tock. This is not good. Her phone doesn't work. She didn't have the international plan on her cell phone. I did. Oh, and by the way, guess who has her passport? Passport. I do. She has no phone, no passport. In the most <laughs> seriously stressed out place on the planet, <laughs> with highly sensitive religious things going on, and I don't know where Monica is. So I go down to the left of the courtyard, and, and to the left, there's like these very narrow, like, they look like alleyways that, that you can walk through, and it'll bring you back to the, Jude, the uh, Jewish quarter. The old city of Jerusalem is a divided city. Okay, so I walk through there, and I start to go back around thinking, well, maybe she went back around, and now she's at the western wall. I don't know, I can't find her. Okay, so I go through there, and I start to walk through there. I say, no, surely she's at that courtyard. So I, I start to, I walk back out. The, Israel, the armed Israeli guards won't let me back into the Muslim district. I'm like, why not? You just saw me walk through here. Well, sir, it's because of the religious sensitivities and everything, and they're holding, you know, massively armed guns. I'm like, yes, sir, okay, you know. So I'm just standing there at the entryway. And I can see out, but I can't venture out. So I explained to the guys what's going on, and the young man was there. He goes, I'll go look for her. What does she look like? What is she wearing? Well, I don't know what she's wearing. <laughs> I'm stressed out, and now I feel bad. I don't know what my own wife's wearing, for crying out loud. <laughs> Wait a minute. I think I took a picture of her. Okay, yeah, here. This is what, this is what she's wearing. Okay, I'll go look for her. No problem. Okay, he comes. Three or four minutes, comes back. No, Monica. This is not good. This is like minute 10, 12. Seriously? So I'm thinking, did she, like, did she actually walk through the Muslim corner and it spills out into the street? And I got to go look for her like where it spills out? Where is she? <laughs> he goes and looks again. And now it's like, Lord, help. Right? Country music song, Jesus, take the wheel, do something. Help, Jesus. And then I look up, and she's walking with that young man into the entryway, and she has these eyes that speak to me, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Those eyes said, I'm going to kill you. Those eyes said, would you please hug me and hold me right now? And I'm looking at her like, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I wanted to, you know, and then afterwards it was like, why didn't you stay there? I would have come and got you. And, all, uh, and you know, the, the army Israeli guards are like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I was not scared about rockets from Gaza. I was afraid for my life because of my wife was lost. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Reunion happened, Right? We were, we, we were alienated, and all the stress and all of that alienation. What if this happens? What if that happens? Alienation, alienation, alienation. Come back face to face with my wife. <sighs> Wholeness. <laughs> What's the Hebrew term? Uh, shalom. Yeah, shalom. Wholeness. As things ought to be ordered together. Amen. That's what God is doing in Christ. At the end of the eschaton, at the end of all things, it's face to face with God. No more alienation. 
no more alienation. If you're outside of Christ, it is alienation. It is not a Merry Christmas. I don't care what you buy or what you have or who you think you are. There is no peace, saith my God, for the wicked. But all of us are sinners. And the reason why God sent his son Jesus Christ was to die as our substitute so that anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone and everyone that repents of their sin and believes the good news of the gospel will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say? You will be saved. For it is God's... For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the what? It's the gift of God. Why? Lest any man should boast. It's all of God. All of grace. So we as a church, if you're an unbeliever, we would say as I close today, come, believe. Right? Isn't that right, church? Believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Come from unbelief and rebellion to surrender to God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for entering our dark world. Thank you for making an end of the temple and you've made us your residence by the Holy Spirit. Would you please take the words that I've used and encourage your people and glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.